welcome to the discussion for me with your hosts, Brandy and Christian. If you're looking for a podcast where sisterhood is embodied, you are home. Listen, each week we will open the floor and have raw conversations about relevant and unaddressed topics plaguing our communities. You ready, B? Yes, let's get it. Our health series. Today, we have Michelle R. Davis McNeil, who is a physician assistant who specializes in internal medicine. She has the added skill of speaking Spanish for almost 20 years. She currently holds the position of African-American clinical lead for CID, which stands for Cultural Inclusion and Diversity. But not only is she a leader in the medical field, she is also an entrepreneur with Beauty Counter as a consultant for the past two years. We will add the link um, to her website, but it is www.beautycounter.com backslash Michelle McNeil. Um, So hit her up because you'll receive 20% off new client orders. But outside of work, she enjoys spending time with her family. She is a member of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority for 20 plus years. She is also an avid long distance runner in which the past 11 years she has participated and many half and two full marathons, girl. Okay, I'm tired just reading about it. (laughs) She also enjoys gardening, which is her new favorite hobby, especially since the start of the pandemic. But nothing is more exciting than traveling by far for her. Welcome, Michelle, and we are so honored to have you before our listeners. As Black women, as women in general, we are the glue and the epicenter of change in our family. And I had the experience of accompanying my dad when I noticed some signs and symptoms that his primary physician had not picked up on. And I went in and I had to advocate because my dad, being the typical Black male at the time, just would not speak up for himself. He would go in there and talk to him about basketball and he would—he was about to let him go. And I said, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> no, no, no. He's exhibiting X, Y, and Z, which ultimately led to them rushing him into an emergency surgery. But in the room, as I was advocating, his doctor became so offended and I was labeled, he was like, don't get angry, don't get, and it was like, I was labeled as the angry black woman, go figure. (laughs) Michelle, how would you empower the quote unquote, the angry black woman in those type of situations? Well, first and foremost, thank you, Brandy, for having me. Thank you um, for allowing me to share some, some tips here. Um, you know, for, for you to be quote unquote labeled that as an advocate for your dad goes back to what we talk about implicit bias. Um, and that can be fragmented into other stereotypes that are displayed in our society, um, and, unconscious bias in that sense. Mm. It can be seen as a defense mechanism because here you are an educated person who is able to speak the lingo, so to speak, with this physician to advocate for your dad. 
So unfortunately, that happens a lot um, in healthcare. And it actually creates more healthcare disparities. Wow. Wow. Um, so, mm-hmm, go ahead. So what would you say, like, in those situations, when it seems like you're getting resistance from the physician, should we, I mean, what are our kind of our steps as far as what should we do? Should we, I mean, in those moments, should we just kind of backtail it? Should we try to get into a nurse or to someone that can hear us? Um, what are the kind of the steps in making sure that we're heard in those moments? Uh, I definitely think bring it to a higher uh, uh, level of uh, leadership mm-hmm. to express your concerns. Think about it this way. If we are in a restaurant and we have bad service, do we talk to the server about it? We may, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't get resolved. Who we go to? We go to the manager without much hesitation, without any hesitation. Right, right. Unfortunately, or, you know, if if you can use that word, quote unquote, there may be some intimidation in the medical community because you may have individuals who advocate for their loved ones, significant others, who may feel like they're not able to express themselves eloquently to get the matter Mm -hmm. across. Mm -hmm. I always encourage individuals if there's something that you don't disagree, that you see that you don't disagree on how it's being handled in any form of fashion, whether it's restaurant, food, quality, hospitality, uh, whatever it may be, you have all the right to say something because you know what, that moment that you say you should have said something, it could be too late. Mm-hmm. What's the worst case scenario? You know what I mean? Like there's nothing really to fear for. Um, and, and go from there because that individual who is putting a roadblock for you to advocate for your family member may not have the understanding about cultural competencies or the desire to really take that blinder off to see really what it is. In medicine, I'm taught to allow the patient to tell the story. And, um, and, and, and in, our, in our studies, in our training, things are usually presented case-based by certain identifiers, mm-hmm. gender, race, sex, if you can use that, you know, and age. And we're already in that mindset to calculate what the probability will be based on these identifiers. But oftentimes we forget to take the blinders off to really see what the patient is as a human being yeah. and allowing that to dictate our care. And so I, I have a question. So I'm glad you kind of mentioned that about the identifiers because I, I had a situation recently where I kind of had to like advocate for myself, but how do you counter, counteract those identifiers? So if I'm an African-American um, you know, female and I go in with, let's say being obese or something like that, like a very common identifier you know, within our community, right? Mm-hmm. How mm-hmm. do you counteract, even though they are real identifiers? Yes, I am African-American. Yes, I am young. Yes, I am, according to, you know, statistics, obese, right? right. But how do you counteract that to ensure that you receive um, really a quality care? Because I find that 
a lot of times um, medical professionals, they lead with those identifiers and they don't hear um, my concerns, even if I consider myself to be like, you know, I'll, I'll advocate real quick. <laughs> like, I, will, I will tell you, I'm not happy with something, you know, <laughs> right, um, right. but how do you counteract that? I mean, besides the obvious of maybe finding another, you know, healthcare professional, um, you know, maybe getting a second opinion, like what can we do? Do we lead with saying, hey, we are aware of these identifiers, so let's not start there? Like, how do we, how do we have that conversation? Like so, so you know, that's a good question. Um, there's 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 some ways I feel, and then there's some challenges, of course, right? So, number one, look at the percentage. Let me go back, let me backtrack. So I'm an African American physician assistant. Mm-hmm. I represent probably about 3.5% of PAs. I'm a female and I'm African-American. And that percentage is roughly about the same as physicians mm-hmm. too. So you have this one area of, do I see someone who looks like me in the profession that may understand, mm-hmm. right? And then, so you have that as one area that we're trying to like increase more awareness and more visibility within the medical um, society. However, on the other end, like you said, those, those, those identifiers that you mentioned, yes, they do have some weight. Evidence-based suggests that if you have X, Y, and Z, this will be most likely your outcome. Mm-hmm. Here's my, my issue, and I'll be completely honest. We don't have enough time. I'm going to be transparent about this. We don't have enough time. If I'm giving 20 minutes to see a patient, that 20 minutes is, is used for them coming through the front door, checking in at the front desk, waiting in the waiting room. My medical assistant goes and gets a patient, takes vital signs. I walk from the provider's lounge down the hallway to go see them. Now I'm probably left about 10, eight minutes. So how can I really connect with wow. that patient to help understand what really may be going on as to why they're not able to really recognize some of these factors that could negatively impact their health. Sure. Sitting and actually talking to the person to figure out what if you, for example, I'm just doing hypotheticals, say you have, you work and you have two jobs. How are you going to find time to go to the gym? Right? Right. What if you live in a community that doesn't have access to paved bike lanes or a park you know what I mean? Or so not those are social to go outside. Huh? Exactly. Right. You know, so what if you're taking care of your parents that you got to come home and you got a second, second job to do not taking care of kids per se, but your parents, because we are in that generation where we may have to take care of our parents too. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So there are all these other layers that we may not have time to ask to help figure out a plan or a strategy to get to from point A to point B. All we have time is to look at the data and say, hey, like you said, your BMI is X. You have a little bit of borderline hypertension. I suggest that you go and walk 30, 45 minutes a day, which is recommended by the CDC or other institutions per se. How do you incorporate time to do that if you're already held down by other priorities in your life that are daily, daily necessities and survivals. Right. 
So, okay, so this is bringing up another question to me. So it, it seems as if like, how do we become better advocates for each other? You know, like in a sense of like the doctor is definitely, or the physician assistant is definitely like a place of value and where you go to get information. But we need to, it seems like because of what's going on, we need to help each other out. So if we know that our friend is, you know, needing some encouragement as far as walking, or if we need, you know, if they have a lot on their plate, um, coming up with ideas like, hey, girl, we're going to get on Zoom and dance for 30 minutes, or we're, <laughs> you know, like creating a kind of a buffer, like for, because it reminds me of kind of going through COVID and how they were saying how everyone was calling like the medical field, the first line of defense, but in actuality, that was like their last line of defense. And so it's like kind of maybe doing more community and more advocating in our own communities to help with those health challenges. So then when we go to the doctor, it's not a dire need in a sense of like, we know we need to walk. Like we know we need to get mm -hmm. up and move. Right. We know we should be checking our blood pressure. We know we should be checking, you know, if these things are common in our family denominator, having these conversations to help advocate for one another. So when we go to the doctor, it's not like this laundry list of things that are going on um, that we just haven't addressed at all. No, no, and you're right. And and what I find is that I, I use the uh, analogy a lot, you know, we're quick to oil change and tune up our cars, but we got to tune up our body, right? Um, and I say that because, you know, and it's real, you have to, you have to bring an analogy that's relevant, that's, that's applicable. Um, we have a lot of unfortunate mistrust within the medical community, you know, and I think it comes from how do we break that barrier to increase that trust, right? It's a relationship. Um, how do we understand, like you said, if we're aware of the, of the, the conditions, the medical conditions that plague our community, hypertension, diabetes, stroke, heart disease, et cetera, being involved in community is one place that we're, we're, we're good at, right? We, we love being involved in the community um, because that's where we kind of congregate. That's kind of how we share our experiences. I, the, the more I look into this, I, I feel like there needs to be an actual ownership and a desire of that individual. Okay. It's a two-way street. Yeah. So if, 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 we, if we know, if I know my dad has hypertension, I can't control the genetics that are passed down to me, but I have control of what I choose to eat. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And so how do we take ownership within ourselves? Um, and then the other part, too, is, you know, like you mentioned, like getting on Zoom and dancing and, 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 and being engaged with other friends and family to help encourage them. Again, it comes to the desire. You know, mm -hmm. there are certain things that our community, whether it's friends and family, may look down at a person trying to live a better lifestyle. But why? Why is that? You know, mm -hmm. and then you may have a person that was non-African-American uh, will make the similar recommendation and they're on it. Mm. Or the worst case scenario, the situation is happening at this present moment and you want to cut and make a complete 180 lifestyle change. Right. So 
when I, when I, when I, and, and when I talk to my patients, you know, and I don't, I don't, I talk to everybody the same because the body is going to operate the same for the most part. And again, it's, is what are you doing to advocate for yourself first? Are you aware of what's going on? Do you have fears of what's going on? And if you do, then you need to vocalize and express that in full transparency to your provider. If you don't say anything, I may not know. I may not have the time to really take a deep dive into this area that may be a roadblock or a hindrance for you to get out and exercise, for example. Mm-hmm. You know, you may not know how to go about switching out your diet to be more aware and conscious about certain foods that are going to be artificial and can now create another situation that may come four or five years down the road, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's really about opening up one's eyes and really feeling vulnerable and having trust with that provider to talk about those things. Mm-hmm. I feel like we talk more about with our hairstylists in the barbershop than we do with our providers, real talk. That's you know true. what I mean? That's true. That's There's a level true. of comfort there, mm-hmm. you know? So we have to really work on breaking that cycle and really making sure that that person feels heard, that person feels like they're not being rushed mm-hmm. and, and that they really feel like, hey, she cares for me. You know, one thing I can proud myself is a lot of my comments will come in that, you know, my patients don't feel rushed. They feel like I'm being listened because if that's the impression that I can give to that person where it's the first time I meet them or the fifth time I meet them, they're going to come in for more, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so that's that's kind of like my whole process. And this is evolving over time. This did not happen in the beginning. Let me be upfront with that. You had to learn. Best size matters don't come. You have to you have to learn that, and you have to have a desire to want that too. Mm-hmm. Do you see that desire in your in your other counterparts to connect? Is it? Is it something that's fostered or encouraged in the medical field or in the field that you're in? Um, you know, that's a kind of a hard question because uh, I do know a few uh, colleagues that are aligned with the same type of quality care. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's another part that I really can't speak on that because I'm not in that room with that patient and Thank that you. provider. I don't know that conversation, right? Um, but I do know that, how can I say it? Um, or would you say there's an, if a person was in the field and they wanted to connect more with their patients, are there resources out there for them to access? Of course. Of yeah, course. Okay. yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's a patient relations like type of training. Okay. Right. You know, um, when you go in the room, you know, give the patient a couple of minutes to really tell them, you know, why they're here don't interrupt while they're speaking, you know, don't always look at the computer screen because, you know, we're in the, in the technology stage of charting, Um, you know, you got to make that eye contact, you know, so there's certain behavioral techniques that one will be able to get training on. And then I think it's a matter about how you foster that going forward, because it's very easy to become complacent. You know, if I'm running an hour behind because I have, I'm covering a provider, I got messages and et cetera, 
like my whole mindset's now shifted, right? Because I, I got to go. I don't want the patient to be waiting for an hour. That builds up frustration while they're there, right? Mm-hmm. Their, their time is just as valuable as my time. So, you know, there's times where that happens where you have to kind of like reevaluate how you're moving in, in a court in, in, within that and within that, um, that appointment. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, not really, you know, if, if you could do it right and you get to establish that care with that patient, then yes. If you're a patient who's seen a specialist, that may be a different realm, right? If you're going to the emergency room, that may be a different experience. If you're going to urgent care, that may be a different experience, mm-hmm. you know? So for me, I'm able to at least try to connect with the patient in a continuity of care type setting, but mm-hmm. that may be, that may not be applicable in all cases right. or most cases, you know? So I have a question. Um, since you mentioned uh, kind of like, you mentioned the statistics of, you know, some of the physicians or physician assistants that are African-Americans. And for someone such as myself, who, ex- who has experienced, you know, being ignored or downplayed or um, being kind of told to calm down, whatever my, my negative experiences have been, what can we do in the midst of advocating for ourselves to, com- to communicate our needs clearly? Because I feel like maybe we're not using the correct words because I don't want to assume that everyone has the ability to, you know, constantly change healthcare um, professionals. Maybe they don't know how to navigate the field to, you know, go up the chain and ask for, you know, a supervisor or case manager or whatever the situation might be. How can we as a community um, advocate for ourselves within the given parameters to make sure that our concerns are being addressed? So that's, 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 that's a little, that's, hmm. And I, I, I'll use this, I'll give you an example. Maybe this will kind of, I know the question is Yeah, because that could be a little hard. <laughs> <laughs> I know that question is kind of loaded, but just my own personal experience, I had a situation I was dealing with for maybe four or five years. And it wasn't until I went to urgent care one day in another, um, I'll say more affluent area. And there was a physician who happened to be African-American. And I talked to her for 15 minutes and she told me exactly what it was and what I needed to do. Now, prior to meeting her, I had seen maybe three different physicians for the same issues and have received several different responses. And so that really changed my perspective as far as like level of care and, um, maybe someone of my same ethnicity being able to understand me more. And I said the exact same thing to three different people, but I received several different responses. And so that's kind of the perspective that I'm coming from, understanding that we may not always have that opportunity to deal with someone of the same ethnicity. You know, maybe that's not an option for us. And so eliminating that and understanding the statistics that were underrepresented in the medical field I'm just trying to figure out what is a way that we can navigate within the given parameters if we don't have those options of obviously, um, you know, seeking out maybe a different provider or something like that. Right, right, right. No, I see where you're coming from. I, I, I think the best thing, if I'm on, if you're coming to me and, and you feel like you're not being heard, mm-hmm. I think the best way I can answer that question is, is to kind of like use some gesture cues and say, you know, um, PA Michelle, um, can we just pause here for a second? I'm not sure if you're really hearing what I'm saying. Um, 
are you able to kind of like regurgitate like your interpretation as far as what I'm expressing to you? Mm-hmm. Uh, because that's what I, I, I would reverse that, you know, in a sense, because if I feel like I'm not really, if I'm looking at the patient's behavior and, and you know, your behaviors can tell a lot. And, and if you're kind of like, hmm, okay, you know, and kind of look kind of a little puzzled because that's a sign of maybe like, yeah, I'm not really feeling you on that perspective or that interpretation, but I'm going to see how this goes. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I stop myself and I says, let me make sure I understand where you're coming from. Because if I, if I'm not, then let's kind of backtrack and, 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 and go over this again. What I'm hearing you say is that you feel X, Y, and Z because of this, this, and that. And if they can agree to that, then that means we're on the same page. Mm-hmm. If not, that allows opportunity to correct me in that sense. Because think about it. When we're, when we're listening to a patient talk, our minds are going. We're already in the deducing stage. We're already ruling out this, ruling out this, ruling out this. Okay, what labs do I need to order? Okay, do I need to order x-ray or not? Okay, do I need to send to a specialist or not? So my brain is, is constantly calculating as the patient's talking. That could be a good thing and a bad thing, right? Because you mm-hmm. can be a little ahead of yourself or you may need more information to change your decision process. So every now and then I kind of stop and say, let me just make sure I'm understanding what you're saying, right? right. And that's the level right there that you can connect. And it's okay for a patient to stop the provider. I would like for them to say, no, 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 Michelle. I think you have this, you may not be hearing me right. This is what I'm feeling. I'm feeling the shortness of breath when I go here and here and there. But if I go here, I don't have it as much, you know? And that may be a, a very specific detail that may not make a decision, make the decision change on my end, but that may be something that they really want to get off their chest to make, to let me make sure I knew that, right? Right. That's value information to them, but it may not change my decision-making on the back end. So that's, that's awesome. the best thing that I can, that I would suggest in doing that. That's a good suggestion there. Mm-hmm. Cause I, I, I didn't even think to do, you know, like I, I've also experienced the same thing, Christian. So you're not alone in that where I just did not feel heard. And I just was just like over it (laughs) and I didn't even think to say okay let's let me give this person a chance to like try to get it I was just frustrated and just and I wrote them off (laughs) you know in the sense of like okay I'll change because I have the option to do so but um that's a great suggestion like to just have them talk it back to you um because again like you said they are working in their heads and doing and going through things so it's like to have a little bit of grace and understanding as to where you know the the side that they have to calculate and also just you know them seeing so many people during a day like you know so totally Mm -hmm. totally totally absolutely yeah and it it allows a time to pause in that in that meeting um to reconnect you know and I feel like at the end of that visit I would think that both parties will be fulfill right because Mm -hmm. it's being satisfied right if you go somewhere you want good service you leave feeling satisfied right Right. and that concept applies within our medical setting as well I just feel like there's times where us as individuals especially with African Americans not necessarily going to the to the doctor's office to see their providers on a routinely basis Mm -hmm. or we go when it's too late So there's already built up frustration due to fear of what 
the possibility may be. So true. So we have to, we have to take that action and work backwards to get to the root of the problem. Mm-hmm. So knowledge is a root of the problem. The desire to make the changes on your own and connect and be open-minded about that will help reduce that. Because if you're already at a point of fear, your, your, your emotional state is going to be a little fragile. It's going to be a little bit wavery, right? Because you, you're hoping for this outcome, but in the back of your mind, you know, it's going to be this. So there's a lot of hesitation going in. There's a lot of nervousness going in. There's a lot of skepticism going in because you don't know what the outcome may really be. Yeah. You know? That, that's actually awesome. And I think along that line, something that I, I kind of wanted you to touch on was this whole tolerance of pain that I feel like um, mm. is ingrained in us from being mm-hmm. very little. You know, it's like, if my head hurt, go drink some seven up and go lay down. If, <laughs> if mm-hmm. you know, um, if, if your stomach ate, everything was go lay down, you know, seven up crackers, like that was the cure all for everything, no matter what it was. And I feel like some of that has, you know, played into our thought process as adults, because we, mm-hmm. a lot of African-Americans are not even African-Americans, I would say minorities, we don't, you know, see health professionals as often as we should. And I think, yes, there is a certain level of personal responsibility, but I do think a lot of that is cultural, meaning that it was ingrained, you know, in us from, from, from being a child, you know, probably something that mama and grandmama did. And so how do we as adults, as we're starting to embrace, um, you know, this personal responsibility and advocating for ourselves, how do we counteract some of those things that we were taught culturally, you know, as young children, meaning like, why do we as African-Americans have to have a higher, you know, tolerance for pain? Why do we think that that's okay? Like we, we've learned how to just deal and cope with things rather than um, it being an indicator that maybe we need to seek some type of professional assistance. No, you're absolutely right. There's a lot of um, research going on about that, um, about pain tolerance and how um, a lot of African-Americans are getting tied to that as far as not um, being subjectified as far as like, oh, it's not that, it's not that bad. You can tolerate that, you know, and being overlooked and actually really be suffering. Um, I, I, I know about the research. I am not a hundred, I'm not like a hundred percent, like, like, like deep down, I can recite like, you know, stats and this and that, but I do know that a lot of these things go back generations and in our culture, storytelling is one of those important things. Right. And so if we don't know, we continue to pass down what we do know. So how can we break that cycle? And that cycle starts with us. You know, I, I, I truly feel like with the social media, with all the other platforms that we can, we can get the messages out um, to try and help diffuse that, um, that stereotype that plagues us about like pain and other things. And then also too, allowing to have some educational materials within the medical community to help understand the why behind that, right? Because in that setting, there's a lot of implicit and unconscious bias that's intertwined within that. And this is coming on, like this is indoctrinated into like our training, 
right? Unknowingly, because someone has created this idea and everybody just kind of went with it and never really challenged it. So it becomes a somewhat abnormal normacy, if that's Mm -hmm. such of a thing, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like it's not right, but because society has kind of just adopted it and it's kind of like the new norm, you know, uh, we, we don't challenge it. And a lot of research is now starting to take a deep dive in that because it, 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 it in a day is not right. But I, I, to get back on track, I do feel like it starts in your home. It starts with having more of people who look like me in my field, <laughs> to be completely honest, to have that same desire to really get out there and to make that change. If we don't have someone that looks like us per se, how are we to expect someone else to fulfill that, to help us understand that? And I, I don't know if I'm kind of, I'm probably talking in riddles and circles right now because it, it can get a little convoluted. But, but what I'm trying to say is that by us having, by me being in the profession that I am, I can utilize the tools that I have to help impact someone else's life, right? And then that can help hopefully share to the next person's life. Now that passes on there too, because the outcome and the results, we look at that, right? Mm-hmm. If you don't, if you, if you say you're going to uh, uh, do X, Y, and Z, but your results don't show that, then I don't believe you. You just talking. It's okay. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. It has to be convincing. It has to be convincing. So um, I think until we get to that point of really opening up our circles, um, taking down the blinders as far as information that's delivered to us and being receptive of it and trusting that we are, are, are trusting that we know that the people who are talking to us have that knowledge and not being looked at, oh, you think you're better than that, or, or you're looking down at me. No, we're really trying to help uplift you in addition to the community. You are part of the community. Once we can remove that off of us, it'd be great. It'd be great. Yeah. So, so a lot of this goes back to a lot of unfortunate damage, mistrust, what's happened to so-and-so's uncle back you know, at that time. And now that just becomes unacceptable, but I don't know. I'm just going to, it just is what it is. And it doesn't have to be that way. Hmm. Well, I think that's a good place to end. It doesn't have to be that way. I, I sincerely, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart, Michelle, I appreciate you um, coming on today. Believe it or not, I, I came in, you know, wanting to kind of exposed (laughs) some of the experiences that I've had Mm and talking and talking with you and you sharing your experience it really helped me to kind of change my perspective or my outlook and to understand that there are also barriers and challenges internally that physicians you know have to deal with as well and so I think your unique perspective will really open the eyes of the public you know when we're interacting with medical professionals and we can go right. in better prepared to advocate for ourselves, understanding that there are internal and external factors that we're dealing with on both sides. So again, I sincerely appreciate you taking the time, you know, out of your busy schedule to speak with us. I know that our audience 
definitely learned something today. This is just the beginning of our health series. And um, we're definitely going to drop the information for Michelle, her, her website, so that you can connect with her um, for any projects or any things that she has. And um, again, for our audience, continue to listen in. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time. Thank you for listening to It's the Discussion from me. Hopefully you are leaving here seen and enlightened. If so, please share, like, and invite others to this safe place. Until next time.